the historic moments are constant. And I think that even what's happening now and what will happen next week and what will happen after that is in communication with, at least for American history, is in communication with stuff that has happened centuries ago. Take a little break from the crazy, try to recalibrate. Every day seem to be hazy, I see though. Everybody's sick with obsession, it's how to navigate. Take your baggage out of my space, I need room. Reset. New world order. Reset. New world order. It is 2021, and it has started off <laughs> with a with a bang, so to speak. Thank you for tuning into the Stir Crazy podcast. I'm just over here trying not to go stir crazy myself. My name is JP Reynolds. I am the host for the Stir Crazy podcast, and here I'm talking to some really, really dope people that I'm grateful to be connected to spanning the the spectrum of artists and intellectuals and creators and entrepreneurs, just a bunch of really dope people. I have a very special guest on this episode, very special. I could say a lot about this guest. <laughs> I can say a lot. This is a guest who I actually kind of grew up with in Mount Vernon. I know this guest by a nickname or a shortened name of the name I'm going to introduce her as, and she knows me as Jeremiah. For listeners of the podcast, I've been called all of my names on different episodes. I've been called Rodney. <laughs> I've been called JP. I've been called Jeremiah. I probably will get called Jeremiah tonight. We'll see what happens. I am joined tonight by Santanish Myers, who is a brilliant, brilliant creative writer, director, filmmaker. I am thrilled to, one, I'm thrilled to like, we're both in creative spaces and we, we have conversations these days and like she checks on me, which is really gracious, like text message me every couple months just to see what's going on. I'm looking forward to finally working with this person. Oh, we have to make it happen. But this is a brilliant, a brilliant artist, brilliant person. Santanish Myers, hometown, fam love on the podcast tonight. And I'm really looking forward to having a conversation She's really smart and she's really, she has such a deft hand at what she does. And we're going to talk some, some of that a little bit, but we're going to talk that talk. So first of all, Santi. <laughs> Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Where are you? How are you? Have you been drinking water? What's good with you? Oh my goodness. I'm currently in Inwood in New York City. I am vertical. I am hydrating, trying to sleep more, reminding myself that sleep and water are key nutrients. And um, this will be my first time podcasting with someone I've known the majority of my life. So that's just <laughs> exciting and comforting, especially um, during this time. So thank you for having me for that very generous introduction. And I'm happy to be here. No, I'm, I'm grateful to have you. And, you know, it may be generous, but it's also true. Folks who don't know, you know, Santi has created things and produced things that have been award-winning. You know, Cross My Heart comes to mind. She's working on something. She's always working. First, I kind of just want to get your story on storytelling and your relationship to it, right? Because I think you're a really great storyteller. It's really necessary for folks like us, Black folks, folks across the African diaspora, folks with our perspective to be storytelling right now. I think that's actually like a really important role in what is happening in the world right now. 
but yeah, what's your relationship to it? Like, you know, how did you get into it and what's your orientation towards it? Oof, I'm trying to think where to start. I mean, I think, you know, you can boil storytelling down and, and what we get out of it in various ways. But, you know, I've heard it said before that we're all just kind of looking for mirrors mm. in, in the stories that we read and see and hear. And so I think a lot of what I know I do and a lot of people I know is just like trying to create more mirrors for people to see themselves because absence is very loud as well. And feelings of invisibility can feel very loud as well. When I was a little girl, I was lucky enough that my mom was really diligent about giving me children's books that were in my own image. And um, I read a lot of, I was really into mythology and fables and folk tales. And I read children's books with these gorgeous illustrations showing like black girls on these epic adventures, befriending mermaids, the first black mermaids I'd ever seen in my life, meeting mysterious old ladies who could take off their own head and brush their own hair and getting kidnapped by supernatural creatures and, and all this stuff. And, but as you can imagine, once I outgrew children's books, those types of stories pretty much vanished from my life completely. And so I think part of what motivates me as a filmmaker now is kind of calling upon those um, heroic journey spotlighting girls that look like me um, into live action filmmaking. So that's part of what motivates me as a storyteller right now. And I kind of say that with ease now, but it took me a long time to put all of that together and to identify those roots and the origins of those desires and, and just kind of figuring out where it all came from. Um, but I didn't start out thinking I was going to be a filmmaker. I thought I was going to like work in diversity and inclusion. And like, that's oh, what I wow. thought I was going to do. Like if you, if you remember like Deus and SDLC, oh, shout yes. out, Baba, like changed my yes. life. Wow. But like, that's what I thought I was going to do. Like in my career, I thought I was going to like work in education and do like diversity and inclusion work and whatever. So that's what I thought I was going to do. But when I graduated from university of Maryland, moved to China where I was living for quite some time, I moved a couple places, but China was where I was at the longest. And while I was living over there, that's when the trial against George Zimmerman was happening for the murder of Trayvon Martin. Mm. And I remember just being on YouTube as the trial was live, which was like such a surreal thing. Mm. And the trial was live and I was on the friend with one friend um, who is also like a friend from Dais. And she was also in China, but on the other side, but we were in the same time zone. So we were on the phone, on YouTube, watching this trial. And then, you know, they announced not guilty. And this feeling of just invisibility kind of washed over me. And I knew that I didn't want to be critiquing media representation and talking about it um, in that work that I thought I was going to do. I wanted to be a part of making it. And so I moved back to New York um, where I interned at New York Women in Film and Television, which was like game changer for me where I found a lot of mentorship. But like I love women-centered type of communities and the rest is history. Some people started um, planting the seed of film school into my mind. And so I was applying to different programs and decided to go with NYU, um, which changed my life. And it's really where I, I, I discovered my voice and figured things out. And yeah, I've just been trying to make shit since then. Can I curse? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you can curse. You can let it fly. <laughs> you can let it fly. I, that's interesting that you didn't necessarily know that you were going to start out being a filmmaker. I actually wonder how many of us have been mobilized by the awakening that's been happening over the last decade. Cause I feel similarly, right? I thought I was going to be like a pastor of somebody's church. I thought I was going to be like a lawyer, right? It's like, 
mm, no, you need to be doing music. You need to be creating things and telling stories. That's so fascinating. I'm, and I'm thinking about how our social locations impact that journey shift, right? Or that calling, right? Because I think a lot of us would identify these as callings. I mean, that 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 definitely probably impacts the voice that you have been developing though, right? I'm curious to know how that shapes the voice, your voice. I mean, for sure. I mean, I wouldn't change a thing. I wouldn't try and do this any earlier because it's like, if you don't, I think if you're trying to pursue, you need things to say, you need experiences. And so what I was always focused on when I thought about like diversity and inclusion and all that stuff, like I was always gravitating towards the idea of identity and what influenced the way we see ourselves and what influenced the way we see each other. Like I was an American studies major, which is like a really boring sounding major, but it was honestly amazing. Like you just studied like social constructions in the United States. And I took classes like model minority theory and food as cultural memory and native American representation in film and, and things like that. And so um, all of that was, they're planting so many seeds that influence the way I write my characters especially if you're trying to tell, I don't know, if you're trying to tell anything that's, I don't even want to say contemporary, especially if you're trying to venture into speculative fiction and science fiction, like I am, like you have to really understand how the world works. And so if you're not hit to the game, if you're not hit to the history, <laughs> and at some degree, I'm not saying you have to be a massive historian, but you have to be informed and honest with yourself about how things are the way they are in order to think about how to change them, how to make this reality something that's alternate and and genre-like in some way. I think it requires that type of education. And I don't mean that only in the classical sense, but some type of exposure and, and immersion, you know? Yeah. You know, what you're talking about right now is a conversation I think about, and I have conversations with a lot of other artists about, right? Like establishing an understanding of the context, being well-versed or at least versed at all in the things underneath the stories and the systems that we are exploring and to me, that is like an artistic pursuit, right? When folks have, uh, you know, just a perspective that is that is shaped by so many other things that inform the thing that they actually end up creating. And that yeah. feels artistic, right? That is to me, artistry. That's like craftspersonship, right? Like when we're developing something that is wrought with so much underneath it. And sometimes I lament the fact that what gets pushed or what is still seen doesn't necessarily take that care that a lot of artists take care with. You know, I would identify that you know, on the spectrum of like art and entertainment. There's definitely a balance. There's definitely a spectrum to it. And I'm wondering where you, what you think about that, that spectrum, because to me, to me, even what you just said, how you approach your craft and how you approach the delicacy of what you're creating is super artistic. And mm -hmm. I can appreciate that, but I feel like there's a a strange seesaw between that approach and like doing stuff that's going to make money or doing stuff mm -hmm. that's going to be popular or doing stuff that is going to be entertaining. Now, again, there's like a balance, there's an overlap, but I'm wondering where you, where you, where you exist on that spectrum. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a big question. I'll try and answer it to where I am in the moment. I mean, I think right now what I'm learning is how much bravery it takes to tell something that is not purely for the money or that's not purely um, to follow a trend, which is something that you see a lot definitely in the film industry specifically. You know, there are like rungs to the system and 
Um, somebody does something that works, like get out happened. Now everybody wants to have some type of get out. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, what's dope about that is that it gives, you know, black people and people of color like permission to make, to like get more validation for the shit that they were already trying to wait, make like way before get out. Yeah. But the downside to that is that, that there can be something superficial in that door opening quote unquote. Mm. And so what I'm learning right now, as I'm working towards this first feature, like God willing is that the filmmaking does not start when you are on set. Like the filmmaking starts with all of these decisions that precede it. Like mm. what you want your casting model to be like, do you want, name actors do you want name actors simply because they're going to give you financing or do you want name actors because they're going to add something chemically to the cast overall or do you really wish that you could have no name actors but feel like you have to play the game and like Mm. how much are you willing to play that game and and maybe you have to a little bit but will you be sacrificing what you first set out to make and what you first conceived and so um and it's not just on the artistic side it takes bravery from and and love of the work and love of the craft from the people who are on the decision making side who who um, have the financing or have access to green light your project to get financed and things like that. And so um, it happens on both sides and I see both happening all the time. I will have in a 48 hour window, I'll have a great call with a production company where I'm like, yo, they get it. And then I'll have another call with a production company where I'm like, like, dude, like, should I be doing this? Like, so, you know, and it's, Mm. um, you have to um, be humbled by both. I think. Yeah. It's such a delicate balance to strike, right? Because because what you, what I hear you naming is this this uh, you know consideration of input and output, the process of it, the behind the scenes part of it on all the different levels, but then also what comes out and is this thing attached to the vision that you have for it, right? Because you know you're you're a filmmaker, right? You're a person who's you're writing the stuff, and that's an ongoing process too, the balancing of it all. I have a question for you. Oh man, here we go. How, you know, you were kind of touching on before, like, you know, I thought I was going to be a pastor. I thought I was going to be a lawyer. Like how do the, the past paths that might have kind of um, ended, how do they still inform the work that you do now? Okay. So first of all, you may be the first person who's asked me a question on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So shout out to you. Uh, (laughs) Uh. I think I am informed. I think my writing is informed by a theological perspective. I mm. think it is informed by a justice perspective, which are the same approaches I would have taken to being a pastor or being a lawyer. Sounds dope. I've had to I've had to balance this art and entertainment piece as well, where you know I can be like really cerebral. It just so happens that in my field, in my you know in my lane, where you rap or you have your griot or a poet, that can help. That it can help to be cerebral. It can help to be lyrical or just really intelligent with wordplay and vocabulary. But sometimes it doesn't. So it's an interesting balance for me to, to try to strike as well. And that's not to mention all the other content that has to be created in, a, in association with, with the actual music. So I think it comes down to like, you know, what kind of people we are. You know, when we are, when you're a person, you're a person before you're an artist, technically, right? I mean... The, the 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 things that we create are are being informed by who we are and how we see the world. So yeah, I, I also just see it though as like for, for a lot of artists, we can't we can't help but do it. Right. Like when I was in therapy, one of my one of my main takeaways was this concept of like ontological guilt. Right? Mm, same more. 
Yeah, just like ontology being like being, our mode of being, or mm-hmm. functionality with hum- being a human, and this guilt, and that is not in terms of like remorse, but more in terms of like, oh, I, I have to do this. I actually have to do it. If I don't do this, then something will be lost. It's this. It's this like internal burn, passion pull, where you have to do the thing, regardless of what your community may expect or what the people thought you were supposed to do or what you even thought you were going to do. That's the guilt part of it, where it's just like, ah, I can't do that though. I got to do this. And part of it too is like social location, right? Like where we're placed, the time we're in, like we exist in this time. And I saw somebody the other day, I think it was on Twitter, <laughs> where they're just like, I'm actually really sick of living through historical moment after historical moment after historical moment. Interesting. We're, I mean, it's interesting, right? Like we're in a pandemic. We have this current political landscape that we have like this conversation we're having is like two days after the insurrection at the Capitol, right? right? right. There's, there's a there's social movements all over the place, literally all over the world. And I'm, I always think about how history will look back at this moment. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I feel so called to the creating the creating things that I'm creating or telling the stories that I'm telling is because, you know, we need griots. We need people to to tell the story. And that's what I see as my role within this thing, right? So my voice is being shaped not only by what I've been called to or what kind of person I am, but also like the moment that we're in. And that's something I would love to hear from you too, right? Like there's on one hand, we're gonna we we're called to create things or we have things we want to say, or there's there's stories that we've been given to share. And on the other hand, and it's not two hands necessarily, it's a spectrum. But yeah, you know, another thing to consider is also like this space that we're shaped by like the things going mm-hmm. on outside of ourselves that are shaping the stories that we're telling and i mean i guess like particularly in this moment like where where are you on that you know like where are you in that voice finding process i mean it's interesting i mean kind of in response to that tweet honestly like i don't identify with it really i mean i I think history is always like, it's always happening. I think that the 30 year olds of 10 years ago would probably be saying the same thing, maybe not pandemic level, but like, you know, this shit has always been going down. So I just don't know how much I relate to that. I do find some, a little bit of, um, and not to say that they don't have a right to feel exhausted or anything like that, but I just mean like the historic moments are constant. And I think that even what's happening now and what will happen next week and what will happen after that is in communication with, at least for American history, is in communication with stuff that has happened centuries ago. And so I'm always contextualizing it. And I think in looking at it, it's less linear and and more um, circular. Shoot, I can't speak English. Cyclical, circular. Circular. That is what I was trying to say. Circular. (laughs) Um, And so I think that is how I see it. And I think that brings me a little bit of peace in that way. Because I think if you're thinking about linear, then maybe you're thinking about a destination, which you will never arrive to. Even when you die, you don't even know that. So it's just kind of like, you know, I find that... It's interesting when you tell the type of stories that get recontextualized by what's going on. Like it was, Mm. you know, my feature is a science fiction film set on a plantation. And it it was interesting. I don't know if I should say this. It was interesting. 
I have had continued interest and I'm very appreciative of that in the project, but I did notice that when all the protests were going down in like March and April, that there was kind of a revival from a pool of folks. And I was just kind of like, this has always been relevant. I'm glad that it's come to your attention. Hmm. Um, you know, and I don't say that in a shady way. I'm just kind of like, Oh, we've I been mean, here. White folks got interested with, <laughs> you know, you know, the protests that happened. It became politically expedient for them to be alive. Yeah. The stories that it sounds like, you know, your feature is, is telling. So I'm just, yeah. Yeah. But, and I think that I'm not saying that white filmmakers don't deal with that, even though I think it's a little bit different. I think every artist is probably worried about the relativity or um, the timeliness of their project to suddenly expire because something historic happens or, um, or somebody's beat you to it. But I find that there's a unique, a unique version of that that's kind of held for like POC and, and, and queer folks and, and things like that. I just find it, um, if that makes sense. This is, this is actually really helpful. I think this is, this is a great point, right? Because what I hear you pointing to, and this is, I, I align with what you're saying, just in terms of, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. right? And when we have a story to share, this has actually been like a recurring theme on this podcast, right? Like the nonlinear nature of time mm. and like the presence of ancestors or the value of sharing the story that's on your heart when you're called to share it because it doesn't matter when people hear it. I'm literally like recounting the multiple stories, one with Casey Gerald on one of the episodes and one with Josh Williams on one of the episodes where there are these stories that happened centuries ago where mm-hmm. somebody created a thing that didn't become relevant, quote unquote, until much later. And they were given that story to share in their own place and time, regardless of the external circumstances, but it still meant something maybe out of their own time, but it was still on time. And it's a really, that's a really interesting piece for creatives to be free and not actually battling a deadline or not, I don't want to say deadline, but not battling like the time we're in, right? There's a, like you're saying, there's a, there's almost a, a, a resting place and knowing that like, if you have a story to share, that's important, period. A lot of times when we're telling the story, it's going to be relevant regardless of the time limitation set on it. So that's actually really helpful. I, I hope I don't mischaracterize what you're saying. I just, I just, that just sounds in alignment with a way that I respond to the rush of entertainment, right? Or the rush of expectation of what, yeah. what folks create. But it's tough, you know, when, you know, when you got to eat off this or you got to, or you, or you're in a a craft where I know for filmmaking, it takes a long time to make a movie, like a long time, um, especially if it's your first feature, but just a long time in general, because there's so many moving parts. It's not, you're not done in the writing process. Like you're not done after the casting process. You're not even done after production. So um, there's so many um, moving parts. And so it's really trying to find for yourself what sustains you through that process because the work is ongoing. The work is ongoing. And then you want to, and then hopefully when you make that one, God willing, you want to do it again. <laughs> like it's like right. such a masochistic thing. I think <laughs> all filmmakers are masochists, but there's so much catharsis throughout it that make it worth it. But yeah, so I think you have to find ways to sustain yourself and make life worth living outside of that. And I think a lot of us, I know I have, I've been forced to 
engage with that more since the pandemic has started. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the term masochistic and <laughs> I laugh at that because I'm like, yeah, that's real. It also it also sounds like you got to love it to do it. You know, like you got We're all crazy people. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I'm not going to lie, you know. I mean, you got to love it to do it, but I I I always want to say you but you ain't got to love it all the time. Like that's yeah, fair. when you're at the Q and A's, yeah, talk about how much you love it. But it's like I think <laughs> it's okay to be out of love with it sometimes. It's a very you're committed to it, but I think um it's okay to feel hurt by it. I think it's okay to be um, exhausted by it. I think mm. um, even if the love is still there underneath, if it's not on the surface that day, like give yourself a little bit of room and permission because um it's challenging. And if you don't honor the challenges, then like how are you going to make room for the other stuff? Or will you be able to feel the gravity of the good stuff? Mm. Sounds like a relationship, you know, like it kind of is. <laughs> it is right. I mean, you know, you can, you can love a thing, but not be in love with it. Right. You know, that's a possibility. That just sounds like a healthy perspective of a relationship, right? It's like, you can be exhausted by something or someone and still love that person and still, or still love that thing. That's just, I think that's part of the, part of the game. Or even something even more unconditional, at least for me, is like like looking at it almost like a family relationship. It's like, oh, mm. I got to love you no matter what type of shit you put me through. Like, it's kind of like, at least my experience of family. And so it's like, you know, you um, there is an unconditional familial kind of tie. And why you end up having like lifelong industry friends, like the, like people that I love that I met at a festival like years ago, you know, and maybe haven't seen in years also, but it's like, feel like a deep love for them. Filmmaking often blurs that line between like professionalism and personal, like very often, as I'm sure other entertainment industries do. Oh, for sure. Right? I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a special thing when industry becomes community. That's a really interesting blurred line that can be tricky because it's still industry. Yeah. I don't know. And it's so relationship oriented and so much of your progression can be dependent on how you're perceived. And so it's like, how much, how generous with myself do I be? And, and what do I withhold and keep for myself or those like extremely close to me? What a game. What a, what a life we lead. What a game. Oh, such a game. <laughs> <laughs> Why this game we play? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> Speaking of the game, actually, part of the game, like you said, you know, it's different when you have to eat off this thing. Yeah. Right? It's not just, you know, roses and daffodils and glitter and unicorns. Like this is this is like work. <laughs> this is this is this requires an incredible amount of tenacity and uh, perseverance. I, yeah. Lots of perseverance. One thing that I've I'm, I've admired about you as I've seen, you know, your your trajectory is the way you kind of navigate the the like grant space, right? Like art grants and fellowships and those things. I know you got some nuggets of wisdom. I, you know, if you if you want to give us some free game <laughs> on the art grants and the hustle, right? Because that's a whole other arena, a whole other space, especially as a as a black artist, as a black woman artist, as a, you know, people of color, right? This is a it's a very you know, there's yeah. an interesting sea of art grants and fellowships and presenting and packaging, and that's a part. That's just a, yet another part of a process that makes the output take so long, that makes the process mm. so arduous. 
So can you offer us some gems? Can you give us, can you give us some free games? <laughs> you give us some free games? Um, I mean, honestly, there was a period where I was doing more grant applications than writing. Like I was just, um, like, I was just like, I was queen. I have a deadline. Like all the time I was like, I have a deadline. And oh. so I had a cork board above my desk and I had like, you know, a sheet from a legal pad and I just wrote down all of the deadlines. Um, if I found a grant that I missed the deadline, I would set a reminder on my phone for a year from then to like, remember to check it. Like I would make it a little bit earlier just so I could like look for it. And, you know, I wouldn't think about it. So I saw the reminder on my phone, the grants are learning process. You learn how to apply better through each past one and it gets easier. Um, once you do enough applications, it's really a matter of copy and pasting and then tweaking because most of them are asking for the same thing. And so it's a lot of heavy left lifting in the beginning, but it gets easier and you'll know that because once you've gotten some positive response from one, then you're like, okay, something in there was working. So, um, you know, Google Doc is your friend. I, I have a Google Doc for every single grant that I've ever applied to. And that way, if I have something, I'm like, oh, shoot, like, where can I pull language from that? I'll be like, oh, yeah, this grant application. I just type in the organization and it'll pop up in my Google Docs. Get eyes. If you can, like, get just, like you know, someone to look at a personal statement. If you're a photographer, read the personal statements or the exhibition descriptions that are like at exhibitions and like, look at those and look at how like these photographers are like describing their work. And that's kind of a tell for like how you should be crafting your own description of whatever you're trying to do. Like same thing with filmmaking, et cetera. Really look at how folks are articulating what they're trying to do. What else? Have a website. I know so many artists who don't have websites. I used to like, just like beg my friends to let me make their websites for them. Cause I couldn't take it. That's how controlling I am. Mm. And <laughs> I <laughs> so like, I, you know, have a website, like have an online portfolio of your work, go to the, you know, if you're not a filmmaker, go to whatever the festival equivalent is. Um, not just to keep your ear to the street so that you're like really engaged in conversations and up to date, but just cause you meet dope people. I know that's particularly challenging right now, yeah. but, um, so many things have worked out simply because I went to a party mm. instead of going to bed, which was what I really wanted to do. <laughs> and um, cause the, you never know if the person that you have a drink with at this festival is on the committee of the grant that you're applying for. And so it's all connected and it's not just doing that in a superficial way. I mean, um, I say that because as much as the whole like annoying systemic game is out there, all of these industries are filled with such kind people who just love the work. Mm. And if they see you as another kind person who loves the work, they're going to be talking about you and mentioning your work to folks. And you won't even know it's happening, but you'll mm. somehow experience the combination of it. A lot of it is just showing up and doing the application, but some of it is also just um, putting out what you hope to receive and, and just mm. like being kind. <laughs> be kind, kind, everybody. <laughs> It's such a simple. It's such a simple thing that feels lost sometimes. But it's a. That's a. It's a very necessary piece, and it's not just for like the outcome. It's like this process that. It's just like this, but it's just a good way to live. It's just a good way to live. Just be kind, folks. I'm. Um, I'm sure I have like a, a, a tip that I'm forgetting, but like, I don't know. People matter, and like, what is this all like? What is this all for? If it's not for like the people that you engage with along the way, but 
also like, just don't sleep on like how the system also actually works. Like a lot of times I'm just like, mm -hmm. I figured out really early in film score. I was like, yo, the way you get to X is by getting all these stamps of approval. Like the way I got my reps was just because my film was on a lineup of a particular film festival and they were looking at it. Like some of that is luck, but you know, it's about just building your stamps of approval. And so just figuring out how to um, access those stamps of approval. And often once you get one, the, they start to build on each other. You're gonna get 10 no's for every yes. For every something that I got, I got plenty of not somethings. Yeah, that's helpful. Just like even, even knowing that there are 10 no's for every yes. Right. Like that's an, it's a good way to not be discouraged when you get a no. So, well, I got nine more of these no's coming till I, till I hit. I'm going to just, yeah, let's keep on. Swinging. You're just kind of like, I'm a little closer now, little, <laughs> you know, cause closer now. it's just a, it's, but also being really honest with yourself. Like, don't be like, Oh, fuck them. Like my application was dope. It's like, actually like maybe reevaluate it. Like, was it clear? Like, you know, there are some things I submitted and I was disappointed. And then I looked back at that application to like get language. I was like, Oh, this is bad. Like, you know? And so right. also be really honest with yourself and it's so not hard on yourself. Critical. There was um, a society that I'm a grantee of and I applied to one of their grants two times, never got it. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm not applying to this entire organization again. And then I had a friend who told me to apply to a different grant of theirs. And I was like, nah, like they ain't fucking with this project. Da -da -da -da. Like all mm -hmm. ego talking. And she was like, no, I really think your project would be a good fit. And at the last minute I decided to apply. And now I like can't, and I wouldn't have survived 2020 without them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, again, it's, it's a little bit of both. It's like the value of people and believing in others and them believing in you. And also, you know, planting the seeds, you just got to plant the seeds and see what grows. Mm. That takes some trust, right? It takes some shedding of ego. Ego, ego. I mean, I mean that friend though. I had already ex we participated in a in a lab together, and sharing your work with folks is such a vulnerable thing. Yeah, that like you you kind of automatically trust them. But yeah, I think um, mm. ego. I'm finding myself just really continuously understanding what ego really means and how it operates and what my behavior might look like when ego is in the driver's seat and like how to keep it in check. Um, and I don't mean it in the stereotypical, like cocky sense. I just mean like when it only wants pleasure and wants to completely avoid pain and discomfort and how something like that can be an obstacle in the writing process and all the ways that it can present itself. Yeah. I'm curious. And this may be, uh, this may be an invasive question, but I'm curious of how, and I'm, I'm asking this because I also, I think for any any person, but I think especially creative people, ego is a really difficult obstacle to confront. So I'm, I'm curious of how you keep it in check. I'm learning. I mean, first, I really just had to first understand like how it works. And I was, um, honestly, I'm like, I love Oprah and Deepak's like 21 day meditation programs. It's good. It's good. Uh, they, they had a really good one with Jay Balvin, who was like a guest, like on <laughs> this, like the most unexpected thing ever, but the gems that Deepak was dropping on this program, I was like, I like, I bought it. Like it taught me so much about ego and like how it operates. So some of it was just like naming it and understanding it. Meditation in general, um, trying to remind myself in various ways that I'm not special. And I think it's really easy to when something uncomfortable is happening or disappointing or just something totally unfair that 
sometimes it's easy to have the response that it's only happening to you or you're the first person that this has ever happened to. And it's okay to feel like that for a second, but then to kind of like move out of it, have some perspective. And sometimes that's, I can give that to myself. And sometimes it's from my family and friends giving it to me real. A circle. Yeah. Circle is important. Got to have some good, you got to have some good people around you. Yeah. Some folks that'll tell you no, that'll set you straight. Yeah. But will also validate you. So that's what comes to mind. But honestly, I'm still learning. I'm still reading. I think I read the four agreements like Mm. early 2020. And it talked about like not taking things personally. And I never understood when people be like, yo, you take things so personally. And I'd be like, I thought that meant that, oh, you care too much. And so I was going to be like, well, of course I care. Like I should care Mm. so much. And then, but after reading the four agreements, I was like, oh, like I'm, I I now understand what that means. Like Mm. I just, you have to, a lot of times we're just these projecting machines, projecting ourselves and our experiences on what other people are doing. And once you learn how to recognize it and extract it, oh man, it's a game changer. Huge game changer. Huge. What's the other one? Uh, There's one that's aligned with don't take anything personally from the four agreements and there's escaping my mind right now. Maybe it'll come back. It's in there. It's in my brain somewhere. I promise. I promise. No, yeah, the four agreements are great. Gratitude has always helped me, helps me get back in alignment. Oh, yeah. Remember, like, you know, for me, I'm, it's always difficult to, to think about numbers and data and who's not there and who's not showing up or who's not listening yes. or who's yes. not paying attention or who's not saying yes. But then I'm like, yo. There are so many people who are listening. There's so many people who are showing up. So many people who are saying yes. Let me actually just refocus my energy onto those folks, or onto not even those folks, but just that energy, right? That energy of being grateful towards. Absolutely. Again, on the journey, probably will never be done with the journey. <laughs> this will always be a yeah. process, but it's so easy to get caught up in that, to be caught up in. And I have to check that as well. Cause I have a, a naturally solution oriented type personality where I just like quickly want to resolve it. But sometimes in that you focus on the whole in order to fill it. But I find that if I'm not careful, I will only see the whole and I won't see like the bigger picture. I won't see the thing. Um, I see that in my work too, where I'll, you know, because I'm in the revision stage, I'll only see what it's not and not remember like what I actually have accomplished in the mm-hmm. piece so far, you know? Huh. I hadn't thought about it in that context before, like the the focusing on which piece, the the bigger picture or the parts that are getting chopped away, like letting stuff go. Mm-hmm. You can learn a lot about yourself from a revision process, what trips you off, what you don't sweat, what's mm. really hard to let go of, et cetera, why. Mm. I've had this question on my mind just to to ask. It's like, what, what's inspiring you right now? What or who is inspiring you right now? Uh, probably my grandmother. I've been better about calling her like every week since like 2020 has started. It first kind of started as like this, um, this cookbook I'm working on, um, which is going to be um, like this um, family archival memoir, but through like, food as familial memory, but it just kind of, I have just found so much meaning in connecting with her and I never considered us close growing up. And now it's like something completely different. I mean, I wake up and go to sleep thinking about black women. Like that's all I think about, but to discover and rediscover like who your grandmother is as a person, like past 
being Nana, like is, um, and getting to know in my case, Charlotte, like that's been, um, beautiful and, and probably a highlight of 2020 for sure. Yeah. That's precious. That's so precious. Like one, I mean, this year provided so many opportunities for that, right? Like I, I have on my calendar, like a standing time to call my grandparents too, which is like never really happened before. And now it's like, well, now you have not only time, but like a perspective to say, you should do this. While you have folks yeah. who are, are still here, who are elders and who have memories and capsules of times past before you're, you were born or when you were young. It's like, that's actually really important to do. And I'm, thank you for naming that as, as an inspiration because- we come from folks and we come from mm-hmm. folks who have really, really powerful experiences and stories and presence. When we have access to those folks to experience them, it's like really precious, especially mm-hmm. as storytellers, you know, like especially as people who are telling stuff. Like my grandmother told me the story one time. I was like, wait, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I love those moments. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sorry, what? What? It's like wait, he he jumped off a train in Pulaski County. What happened? <laughs> like, what happened? Man, yo, like, you know what I'm saying? Oh my god. I remember once I was like, I was at a kitchen table with a whole bunch of my elders. It was my grandmother, my grandfather, and his sister was there. And I don't remember what we were talking about, but all of a sudden, you know, they were talking about how some crime happened, like someone got hurt in the town and the cops assumed it was him. They were like, mm-hmm. he was like, yeah, they assumed it was me. Cause you know, the cops stayed trying to state arresting me for stuff. I was like, what do you mean by that? Pop up? Mm-hmm. Why, why, why were you always in jail? And then to come to find out he was like a part of SNCC, you know, on um, one of the civil rights organizations. Was, so he was a part and of so, SNCC. And I, not only did I not know, but I'm sitting next to my mom and she didn't know either. I was like, lady. <laughs> and what? so like, and so it's like, you know, it's like closed mouth don't get fed, like closed mouth don't, you won't get no secrets, you won't get no info. I, all, they had all the tea, all of a sudden they were talking about all these conspiracy theories and like, oh no, like this person we knew definitely, it wasn't a, it, he didn't die naturally, like that was a murder. Like, I was just like, man, <laughs> like I had no idea this was your life. He didn't die naturally. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, you know, it's funny that speaking about like the nonlinear nature of time, it's like, well, like we're how we are, right? I'm like, I know how I be thinking and I know what, how I talk to my people. And I'm just like, I didn't, this didn't come out of nowhere, right? Like, it's like, some of this, like, some of this is embedded within me to have this energy. I'm like, what, what's going on here? He didn't die naturally. That's hilarious. <laughs> what? What a, what a euphemism for he got murdered. <laughs> So, um, yeah, elders are full of surprises, yo. And you'd think, like, they've led these ordinary lives. And now there's so much gorgeous texture and just yeah. the simple things, too. Like, just yeah. how they spent their time. Yeah. Yeah. The textures. 2020. I, I keep forgetting that it's 2021. I really do keep forgetting that. It's 2020.2. <laughs> That's what it feels like. You know, one thing that I, I, I wanted to make sure I, I asked you about because 2020 has presented another challenge in terms of how people experience things. Like I've talked to musicians about live shows and you know, we're not going to live shows anymore. People aren't, aren't going to, you know, we're not dancing at clubs right now. There's not, at least a lot of us, we shouldn't be dancing at clubs right now. If you are, stop it. But there's a lot of experiential things that are shifting for how we like consume things. And like, 
I love going to the movies, right? I love the experience of going to the movies. Don't bring it up. Oh. I know, I know. <laughs> like, like I love going to the movies so much that this could, this is a, this is ridiculous, right? But I went to go see A Wrinkle in Time by myself in the middle of the day on a Saturday, just because I was I like went for my birthday. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm like for whatever whatever reason, I just love going to the movies, getting some popcorn, and just being it like whatever it is, right? And we we don't have it. It's it kind of painful as you just you know you just kind of lamented right there. With with that being cut off, people are creative and they find different avenues to create things and all these different apps and experiences are popping up. What where where's this going? How how much can we get out of this? Is this how much of this is real? Are we gonna be able to separate the real from the fake? I, and I hate to, I'm not trying to be shady, right? But so you're asking me what direction I see the virtual spaces that we've kind of been confined to and where do I see like what we have access to down the line, how that evolves. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I am at my core an optimist, but a realistic optimist. I mean, I, one thing that I've been wanting to come back and so I'm glad like some people have started to do it. It's like driving movie theaters, like, Driving movie theaters have always been dope. Like they're not just now a necessity. Like I used to, I can't believe I'm blanking on the name right now, but there is one in Baltimore that I used to go to when I was in college. And you can get like where I had my first corn dog and it's like a legitimate corn dog. Mm -hmm. And I, I saw like so many, it's like, I think they have the largest outdoor screen on the East coast. Um, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name right now. I think it starts with a B and, um, I was always in love with that experience. Like there's new kind of ceremony, like in that, just like the kind of movie theater ceremony you were talking about. And so I would love to see like a boom of small businesses, like run by people, not like AMC, like trying to like hop on, but like small business drive-ins and drive-in movie theaters. Though like there's um a, the first black owned drive-in movie theater that just um, in, in Newark that just opened um, during 2020. And so like, I'm like, I'd love to see stuff like that. And so um, people are always going to create, we're not going to stay here. People are craving like in-person, like tactile experiences and analog type of experiences. I think like stuff like driving movie theaters and whatever equivalents that that is in other places, in other industries, like it's the kind of stuff like I'm into and been ready for. Benji's, the name of the driving movie theater is Benji. I was just about to ask, <laughs> I was like, is it Benji's? Benji's perhaps? Shout out to Benji's. Shout out to Benji's. Also, the four agreements, one of the four agreements that I was talking about earlier is don't make assumptions. That's the Ooh, one that was connected. I to. haven't read that. Don't make assumptions. That's the one that was connected to um, don't take it personally. Benji's, drive-in theaters, absolutely. I don't know that I've actually ever been to a drive-in movie theater. There are some upstate in towns I don't remember, but not far from Mount Vernon. Uh, Poughkeepsie, like in towns like Poughkeepsie, there are um, driving yeah. movie theaters. Yeah, there was mm-hmm. a movie theater in Cleveland, Ohio, on Miles Road, and we used to pass it all the time. We never went, and it was always it just always looked so interesting because mm-hmm. it, it wasn't really anything but just like a big, like a big placard on the wall with like the Miles Drive-In Movie Theater like sign and just like all this grass. But I'm like, I just 
Never, it's never so leaving. cool. And you just tune into a radio station and the audio of the film is in your car. Oh. Unless it's like the old school joints where the speaker is like right next to your parking spot. But that's how Benji's does it. And there's dope food inside, like food that's all terrible for you and delicious. <laughs> and you and you just enjoy it from the seat of your car. Like, I think it's fantastic. That's fire. I didn't. That's see. That's smart too. The, the audio is right in your car. That's so convenient. Sheesh, I love it. Wow. Okay, so one thing on the podcast that I've done with every single esteemed illustrious guest, <laughs> I've asked every. You know, this is obviously has been a wild time. Like you said, though, I think you were right to kind of point out that. There's nothing new under. I'm saying this for you know on your behalf, or this is how I heard what you said. But there's nothing new under the sun. History has always been wild. <laughs> Humans have always existed in bouts of peril. We've we've done this. This is not necessarily new. We have social media now, which makes you feel more urgent. But yeah, this has still been a a wild year. Um, maybe wilder than the past years. Maybe on a more of our lives. Yeah, maybe of our lives, but. One thing that I always want to orient us to, and I try to always orient myself towards this, especially as Black folk <laughs> in a world that is anti-Black, I always want to orient us towards joy and how we're experiencing it. So if you could share with me, some of it's come up, I feel like, in this convo already, but if you could mm-hmm. maybe just share some some ways that you're experiencing joy. I stayed at my parents for a month um, while I was in between apartments, which is a whole epic separate story. And I just, and my brother has always, like, since he was a child, like, always had this really deep voice. And I love hearing him sing various songs of different pitches throughout the house. Like, it would just bring me so much joy to, like, hear him singing Mariah Carey from the kitchen, from my room. Like, things like that would give me joy, would bring me joy. Um cooking for people, like the few people I could cook for, like brought me joy, like being able to like put a meal together and deliver it to my parents. And then my dad asking me for the recipe. Ooh. See, wait, joy. That, wait, did your dad ask you for the recipe? Did that spawn the cookbook idea? Oh no. I've had this cookbook idea. God, I don't even, I wish I could remember where, where that started, but I just wanted to start a handwritten recipe written by my grandmother. And I was like, yo, like there's something to this. And then you can ask them how they learned it. And then they'll tell, they'll end up talking about their mothers. And then I was like, well, like this is such a great avenue to learn things about your family mm. um, in a way that is uh, surprising. And sometimes it's boring and it's just like, I went to a bakery <laughs> and like asked for the recipe, but sometimes it's these incredible stories. Like my mom did it this way and this is what was happening at the time. And um before the pandemic hit, I was actually going to various auntie. It's like specifically focused on all the women in my family. And I was um, taking portraits of them in their kitchens. And then I would make the rest, I would make the recipe with them and document that process and, and record that conversation with them. And then I'd pull a quote from that interview or maybe several quotes. And then um, it'll get paired with photographs of them in their kitchen or their hands, like in the flower or them standing in front of their home. So it's going to take me like years to finish, but um, that's, that's, that process is bringing me joy and I feel joy every time I think about it. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you. Wow. Yeah, the the attachments to family. That's that always that always brings the feels. 
right? Yeah, yeah. laughing with my sister. Oh, I love laughing oh. with my sister. We have the same laugh, which annoys everyone else, but like, <laughs> you know, so just, yeah, family, I guess, in, at its core is probably, um, yeah. is probably, yeah. Yeah, shout out to the whole, the whole, the whole clique, you know what I'm saying? It's the Harmon Myers clan. Yeah, shout out to the whole clique. This has been great. I am... I'm like filled up. I'm inspired by talking. I feel to you. lighter. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Feel lighter. Thank, thank you for these thoughtful um, questions and for this conversation. Absolutely, this is great, and I'm looking forward to all the things that you do. I'm looking forward to this cookbook. I don't. I'm. I'm like, dang. I really. I'm trying to get a, a first draft of that. Job. I'm like, what you, <laughs> what you cooking over there? What spices you using? <laughs> I'll slide you a couple. I'll slide yeah, you a let couple. Me, let me see a couple recipes, Santi. Let me see what you what you doing over there. <laughs> but no, thank you, thank you for 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 pulling up, and thank you for saying yes. I'm seeing you as saying yes. Thank you for saying. Thank yes. you for having me and for thinking of me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, and thank you to all of the folks who tuned in and listened to this uh, this conversation. Follow Santi everywhere. She's somebody you should know. If you don't already know, and like I said, I'm looking forward to all this. I'm I'm trying to be on the list of people you work with. So, yo, I'm yeah. waiting on you. I'm waiting on you. Yo. I know. I know. We just ready. listen. Listen. We gotta get it. We gotta get it right. <laughs> I we am gotta, so ready. <laughs> we gotta get it right. My mom was asking me about you, and I was like, I just want to make his music video so badly. It's <laughs> like I want to make it, and she was like, Okay, calm down. It's coming. Listen, if there's money, people listening right now. You need to make, we need, to, this is independent. Enable I, this this collaboration. Enable the collaboration. These are beautiful, thoughtful, harmonious things happening. Listen, this is a pitch. This is, the, if you're listening, if you listen this long, you might as well just go ahead and, <laughs> you might as well go ahead and just toss me the bread, baby. Just listen, hit me up. We'll talk numbers. I'll send you decks. Listen, listen. We, could, we could do this. We could make this real. <laughs> Can't wait. I can't wait either. Things will happen in their time, and I'm faithful mm-hmm. and trusting in that. But listen, thank you again. This has been really dope. Yeah, yo. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Stir Crazy. Don't forget to follow the podcast at Stir Crazy Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. On Twitter, you can find me at Stir Crazy Pod. This is a completely independent venture, so your subscriptions and donations are more than welcome. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash JP Reynolds. Thank you. Peace and power to you. See you next Tuesday. Another plane I need innovation. Another plane I don't mean vacation. Another plane I don't do the basic. Another plane I don't need to chase it. Peace and power. True.